This is from Daniel chapter 7, uh, verses 14, sorry, 13 to 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. Amen. So we come this morning to worship that Son of Man, that Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So we're starting our series talking about the, the titles of Jesus, and um, not all specifically names, um, but mostly names. Um, and uh, this is one of, of, the, of, the, of those titles. But um, we have had a discussion, um, uh, leaning heavily on my amazing house group, who um, uh, we also had a discussion about people's names. So we had quite a long discussion, actually, about people's names. Um, we, oh, Maria's not here. Maria Emmanuel, we know, um, is so called, has had the same number of letters as her brother's name. Uh, a bizarre story, but there you go. Um, having a mathematician for a father, there we go. Um, or you may know, um, does anyone know who Gramp is? Is there any, any of the reeds here? Um, no, no, there are no reeds here today. Um, so, the, 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 my great grandfather, um, and also Tim Reed's. Um, great-grandfather, um, was a guy called, everyone called Gramp. Um, everybody called him Gramp. Uh, and you think, well, what is in this name, Gramp? Well, um, as, a, as a man of his time, growing up in the uh, mid-20th century, the name Adolf wasn't very popular. Um, so he was, known, he was known as Gramp. Some of you may have even known him. Um, but what is in your name? What is in a name? It does convey quite a lot of meaning, which is when you've got one that's quite so awful, and perhaps you think of using something else. Um, but the names of God uh, feature really heavily all right through the Bible, uh, and they're a way of us getting to know God better, aren't they? They're a way of describing. They're a way of describing God, and each one of those names gives us more. And it's not like, oh, it's confusing, oh, you know... Um, well, I, I knew him as this one one week and this the next week. It's that you go further and deeper into God's character. So I hope that we're going to do this now. But we're talking about Jesus. So it seems funny to start in the, in the Old Testament. Um, so why are we here in the Old Testament in Daniel? Uh, of all books we're talking um, about this morning. And we see this, 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 this title, The Son of Man. Well... Um, <clears throat> There's three things about Jesus in the Old Testament. You have to bear in mind um, that at the time time of Pentecost even, um, the preaching was from the Old Testament, wasn't it? So so when when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost, where did he preach from? Well, he didn't say, I've just written this. Um, You know, there was no no Paul to refer to, was there? Um, So he had to preach from the Old Testament. And um, there's a a useful uh, way of seeing Jesus in the Old Testament, and that, that is these three points. That in the Old Testament, Jesus is promised. So there is a promise and a looking forward to Jesus that runs through the Old Testament, isn't there? Um, and as we look through these names, um, in, in, a, in the style of a well-written preaching series, um, around about Christmas, I think we get to Emmanuel. Okay, but the Emmanuel, the, the one who was coming, the, uh, the ref, referred to and predicted and promised 
um, throughout the prophetic books particularly, but also throughout much of the Old Testament. Um, Jesus is also patterned. Um, so that is uh, what we were looking at really with our Heroes series. Um, and actually it was the last time I spoke, I was speaking about how the, the little heroes um, in the Bible direct us to the big hero, uh, which is Jesus. And that is the patterning in the Old Testament. And also, just as a kind of personal quirky interest, um, Jesus is also present in the Old Testament. So when, when, when God starts creation uh, and says, let us make man in our, in our image, well, who is the us? Well, us is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, having a kind of internal dialogue within the Trinity. So Jesus is present there. Um, but there are other times when Jesus is present, um, and this is just a kind of personal enjoyment. Um, there, there are a kind of times when Jesus appears in the Old Testament. And in Daniel, again, one of my, my favourites, Daniel 3.25, when, um, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get chucked in the fiery furnace... Um, for refusing to bow down and worship. Um, and there's a fourth person. There's a fourth person who looks like a god. Small g is the, the way it's, the way it's in, in Daniel. Well, who is that person? Well, I would suggest that person is Jesus. And there are plenty of other um, occasions where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. Um, it kind of, not always in visions, um, but, but sometimes in visions, sometimes as a man. And that's really, really interesting and a great house group study if you want to look at pre-incarnations of Jesus. It's like a competition. You could see who could find them. That's what we did anyway. <laughs> um, so that's how Jesus appears. So actually, this, this text we're looking at is, um, is prophetic. So it, it's Daniel looking, looking forward to the appearance of this Son of Man. So it's actually, it's actually the first P, isn't it? It's like the promise um, because it's prophecy. So, this forms part of an apocalyptic vision. Uh, so, the preceding bits of Daniel are talking about kind of end time stuff. And if you're not really familiar with Daniel, I would describe it as a bit like Revelation, but more complicated. Okay, so we've just had a, we had a long study a little while ago of, of Revelation, didn't we? Um, and if you thought that was confusing and a bit strange, um, check out Daniel's visions, because they're kind of even odder, to be honest. Um, and it, but it does refer to a time when things are kind of falling apart. And there's clearly something going on. And then, out of this vision, comes this Son of Man. So, look before me, one who is like a Son of Man, coming in the clouds of heaven... And what's interesting about this is that this son of man, so this is, this is saying that this person looks like a man, uh, appears like a man, appears like one of us, um, is in the, in the heavenly place, approaching on the clouds. And the ancient of days, so the, the father, the, the one who's kind of described in proper traditional father style, that's also in the early, early parts of Daniel, who is the one with the, the beard and the white hair and kind of all of that stuff, he actually allows this Son of Man to come into his presence. And just have the next, the next little chunk. Um, and then this Son of Man is given authority and sovereign power and everybody worships him. So what is he saying about this, some, this someone who appears like a man, yet everyone treats like a God? Even, even the Father. 
So even the Father acknowledges the deity of the Son of Man. What an amazing uh, scene that Daniel is seeing in his, in, his, in his vision prophetically. So that's the first bit about this Son of Man. That this Son of Man appears like a man, yet is God. But Jesus used this title when he was speaking about himself. Now, in the language, in the biblical language, um, this was, because to be honest, um, it, it seems a bit funny, doesn't it? But that's kind of, that's translation for you and the passage of time. But this was a normal way of referring to oneself. Um, so, you know, it, it would sound odd if we did it. Um, I can't even, I can't even get my head around it actually to be able to demonstrate that but if you know if we refer to ourselves as the son of man the son of man is going to the shops the son of man you know it would seem weird but it is biblical language and the translation is that is a, a of the time way of speaking about oneself so Jesus did speak about himself like that and, and you'll be very familiar with the New Testament uh, references to the son of man but then Later on, in, um, in Mark 14, Mark 14, 61, um, he's asked outright if he is the Son of Man, if he is the Messiah. And he says this, I am, and you will see me sitting at the right hand of God, of the, uh, uh, the right hand of the Mighty One, and coming out of the clouds of heaven. So although Jesus uses, uses this Son of Man title in a kind of normal way, there comes a kind of crunch time where they say, when you say son of man, do you mean like in Daniel? And categorically Jesus says, yes. Um, because the early parts of the New Testament, it's a little bit of a mystery about who this Jesus is. Um, but when asked straight out, is it you? He said, yes. So what does it tell us about Jesus? Well, we know that the son of man was born as a man. He lived as a man. Um, Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So this Jesus, this man, lived normal life, normal stuff, normal things, the stuff that we deal with. The day in and day out. The living. And as Tim mentioned last week, uh, this Jesus was the God who intervened. I'll have to come down and talk to them. This is what Jesus is doing. This is where we're heading and what a great kind of direction to take at this time of year. Because we're looking to that God who came down. And not only that, He lived our lives. He dealt with the things that we deal with. But yet, on the cross, he loaded on a load more as well. And it just occurred to me this morning, and I'd never seen it like that. You you know when when they pour the water on the sacrifice, and and it's um, it's it's Elijah or Elisha about to make a fatal error. Elijah? Yeah, I'm looking at my mum for reassurance. (laughs) Elijah, excellent. Uh, So Elijah says, pour some more on. Pour some more stuff on the sacrifice. Make it worse. Um, That's what Jesus did. When he was on the cross, he said, I'm I'm taking more. Give me more. I've just had a human life's worth of sickness and pain. I'll take yours as well. And yours and yours and yours. I'll have that. I'll have that. 
as part of the sacrifice. That's what this Son of Man has done for us. Taken on not just live the human life, but taken on more than. Taken on the pain, the suffering, the sickness, the shame for all of us. And having done all of that, having done all of that, he's still in this place where he can go and take the authority, the power, the worship and sit at the right hand of the Father. Uh, Romans 8.34 says this. Who is the one who condemns us? Jesus Christ is the one who died to pay our penalty. And more than that, who was raised from the dead. And who is at the right hand of the Father, interceding with the Father for us. So this Jesus, having taken on all of these things, having taken on all of the pain, all of the sickness, all of the suffering, now is there with the Father, with the Ancient of Days, with, with us on his mind, with us in his heart, and, and is looking to our benefit. Uh, what an awesome Jesus this is, this amazing Son of Man. Amen. Amen. Thank you. We're going to sing again. Um, we're going to sing uh, Blessed Be Your Name. Um, and then Claire, as I mentioned earlier, is going to continue uh, with a bit more uh, testimony. So to, to continue the theme, hello, my name's Claire. <laughs> and as many of you know, it's been quite a year for me and my family. Um, one where, if I'm honest, I've often dreaded having to answer the question, how are you? Or disappointing people who are surprised that I'm not better yet. And it's also been a year where we've experienced the incredible faithful provision and constant graceful presence of an awesome God. And the unreserved outpouring of love and practical support from some very special friends here at Brighton Road. So as we came up to the anniversary of me getting sick, I was pondering whether it was right to find a way to provide some kind of update and testimony. I thought initially that a short notice in the bulletin would probably be the thing that I would do. And then two things happened that mean I'm standing here doing this instead. The first was I checked the date. And it realised that John and I were due to take this service exactly a year to the day since I woke up in the intensive care unit in Miami. And that felt like more than a coincidence. And second was the really many excellent sessions at Down. One about worship. We were asked to consider whether there'd been anything that God had been teaching us that might be appropriate for the building up and encouragement of the church. And we were also encouraged to share testimony. And specifically, there was a session on prayer where many people gave repeated requests for testimony and stories of prayers answered. And I know that such a lot of prayer have been offered on behalf of my family this year. So it felt like a God-appointed opportunity for me to speak this morning. We also spotted that the rotor again, had, uh, had provided Gino and our house group to lead the prayers of intercession. So that, again, felt like a plan coming together. 
And I really believe that God is over every detail of our lives, if only we open our eyes to see it. And so again, uh, God has provided the wonderful doctors, David and Helen, Skip, to be our after-service prayer team, and this seemed just perfect. So, like they say in all the best drama story introductions... If you are affected by anything (laughs) that you are about to hear, then please do take the opportunity to talk and pray um, in the prayer space at the end of this service. So to the medical bits. It's been a year. A year ago today, I woke up in the intensive care unit in Miami. The story actually started a week before that, while I was working in the Cayman Islands, and I got sick with what I thought was a tummy bug. And over a period of a few days, it worsened to the point where I called an ambulance to my hotel room. In that moment, a long, long way from home and all by myself, I was pretty frightened and fearful. But God provided as he has done every step of the way. And in that night, it was my colleague, um, a lady called Juanita, a marvellous, cheerful, forceful, Barbadian lady and a mighty woman of God. She accompanied me in the ambulance, she prayed all the way, and in the coming days, she managed to complete the work that we'd both been sent to do together. She also made frequent trips to the hospital, and she sorted out all the practicalities of like getting my stuff out of the, out of the hotel and into the hospital. And she was such a rock of strength. I'm not sure she slept much that week, but I, she got me through what would have been a terrifyingly lonely ordeal. So once I got to the hospital in Cayman Islands, three things became apparent. Firstly, I had a complete bowel obstruction that needed emergency and immediate surgery. Second, that no one in the Cayman Islands felt confident or qualified to do that surgery, and that I was declared unfit to fly. (laughs) And so the first prayer plea went out, and I guess this is where many of you got involved. In those first 48 hours, you prayed that God would work out that seemingly contradictory set of circumstances, that I would get out, I would get to the States, and I would have the surgery that I needed. And in the midst of the pain and the confusion, the prayer that was answered most powerfully was that I would know God's presence. And it's kind of really struck me this year. I'm aware that this is often the prayer we pray when we've run out of other options. I think sometimes I've been guilty of this myself. Maybe if I haven't quite got faith for healing, I might pray that they would know God's presence. It might feel sometimes like a second-rate prayer. But let me tell you that this is the most important thing to me this year. It's been the constant um, reassurance and lived experience of the reality of God's presence. In that hospital in Cayman, through the fear and the pain and the confusion... God's presence was a constant reality. He was more real to me than in many of the moments that have followed, and, and in many of the moments that followed, than at any time in my previous Christian experience. That's nothing to do with the strength of my faith, but everything to do with his graceful provision. His presence was just like fact. Like the hospital bed I was lying on, and the nurses rushing around me, and the morphine in my veins, his voice reaching through the fog, more easily than many of the medics. He spoke calm and reassurance when everyone else was in such a flap. (laughs) And the thing God taught me right there in that moment has carried me all the way through the year. Living and dying are the same thing. He's already won the victory over death and we don't need to fight that battle again. 
When I first heard the Phil Wickham song that we sang this morning, it was on the Good Friday service in the Carfax. And that song expressed perfectly what God showed me in that ICU. Even as I faced the real possibility of death, I knew that the grave had no claim on me and that whether I lived or died had no bearing on the victory of eternal life that Jesus already saved me. Any healing in this life is only temporary, and even in that ward in Cayman, God showed me that my life was held perfectly in his favour and in his plan, and that stepping out of one life with him into another actually was a great hope, and we can look forward to it with great joy. So in that moment, I really didn't have a sense of minding whether I lived or died. I felt like a peaceful spectator, just interested to see what the next thing would be. And mostly that's how I felt all year. And it's testimony to God's continued presence and provision. So it's no small prayer to pray. And please continue to pray it. For God's presence is what is sustaining us, and we pray he will continue to bless us in this way. On the morning of the 1st of November, with no real prior warning, two ladies burst into my room, announcing they'd come to take me away. I had no real sense of who they were or where we were going, but they turned out to be a medivac team. They loaded me first into an ambulance and then onto uh, a plane. The flying dilemma apparently solved by taking me in a very small plane, very low over the water, to avoid pressure and altitude. So there followed a pretty uncomfortable and very bumpy flight to Miami. But again, God was in the detail. We had no real clue about the logistics. John had managed to secure a last-minute flight to where where he thought I might be, Miami. But as we both landed and turned on our phones, we realised we both actually arrived in Fort Lauderdale, Lauderdale. And John arrived at the hospital just a couple of hours after me. I don't remember the following day very well. I was prepared for surgery and then obviously asleep for the duration and then heavily sedated afterwards. Like so much of what I've gone through this year, I expect it was much tougher for John, who had to stay awake without the benefit of the drugs. (laughs) And so it was on the 3rd of November, a year ago today, that I woke up in the ICU in Miami. I was later diagnosed with stage 4 bowel cancer. That means I had a tumour that had spread in my case, to my ovaries and to my liver. The one-year survival rate for people with stage 4 bowel cancer is less than 50%. So the fact that I'm standing here today is testimony to God's provision. It doesn't mean I'm healed, but we're already so grateful for what genuinely feels like an extra year. I started writing a journal in hospital, and it records that my biggest prayer in those early days was to get home and to be alive for Christmas. So the opportunity to uh, enjoy a second Christmas felt, feels overwhelming. God has already done abundantly more than I asked or imagined. It's been a busy year. After what was major abdominal surgery in the States, I've gone on to have two further surgeries, both times held by your prayers and practical support and by God's reassuring presence. In the spring, I had two rounds of chemotherapy administered simultaneously, and I'm currently halfway through my third round. Um, All things being equal, if I'm well enough after Christmas, I shall go on to have another surgery. So, it's been tough at times, but your love and your practical support has been so appreciated. Um, People have bought meals. Um, There's been many people who've dropped in with cards and cake and flowers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Every gift has been such a powerful witness, especially to our children, that we're not doing this alone. And that makes a huge difference, so thank you. 
I felt like I spent most of this year recovering or in rehab, trying to hold on to a sense of me. And to be honest, there are times when I've wearied of that effort and wondered whether it's worth it. After all, if living and dying are the same thing, then sometimes just giving up and going to glory feels like it might be the better offer. I've been told by my lovely oncologist that this is all palliative treatment. That is to say, I'm likely to get cured, but that we can, and I quote him directly, hope to kick the can far enough down the road to make it worth the effort. So <laughs> these kind of honest conversations have been really important. And as you continue to pray, know that God has already provided. He has already healed me many times over and rescued me from death, temporarily and eternally. And our prayer now is for abundant life and for protection for the faith of our children, that they would know God's powerful presence and provision as powerfully in these days and in their lives as I have done in the past year. And so as we look back over the year, we see too many examples of God's provision to camp. In the same period that marks the anniversary of John leaving the fire service, we've seen God provide work for us to do that has meant our mortgage has been paid and our family has been fed, while allowing John to be home for every night and weekend and present for every hospital trip. And work for me that's kept my mind active and that's been able to fit around my rest and recovery. We've had many, many other divine appointments and doors opened and opportunities to witness and many examples of God's faithful provision. And it matters to me more now than ever to use my time wisely to stay well and to hold hold on to a sense of me. I don't want to be defined by my illness or the many medical details that seem to be taking over my life. I'm determined to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, doing the best I can to live this life well as long as I have it, and look forward to the day when all the pain and the sickness and the tears are gone and I can see him face to face in glory. So thank you for being part of a church that has so quickly come to feel like family. You all and this place have been no small part of God's provision to us. I hope you feel reassured your prayers have been answered. I know there are many others who are facing uncertain health at the moment. And all of us are only ever healed temporarily. So my prayer for us all is that we continue to know God's presence. That we would be confident that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.